Hello and welcome to Step Into Light. I'm Michelle Jones and we are covering um, the book of Enos through the Words of Mormon this week. And so we're going to be hearing from several different writers. In fact, there's a few that wrote even just one or two verses. Um, but we're going to focus um, for this podcast on three main speakers or writers, Enos, Amalekai, and Mormon. So that's going to kind of be our focus. Um, the first um, speaker, writer, prophet that we have here is Enos. Now, Enos is the son of Jacob, who is the son of Lehi. So we've got our um, genealogy. We can kind of connect what's happening here. And I think that this story of Enos and prayer is something that's really well known and that we have really um, had an opportunity to gain a lot of insight and experience from over the years. So as we go through this, there may be some things that I will not touch upon, partly because what I decided to focus on this week is really coming to a place of what stands out to me now? What can I learn new rather than focusing on sort of the knowledge, the tidbits that are already floating around in my brain? So that is where I'm coming from this week. And in case you wonder why I'm skipping over your favorite verse, because we may all have a favorite verse or a favorite section of a verse here from Enos. So he starts out in verse one in the book of Enos, and he says, um, he's talking about his father, and he said, for he taught me in his language and also in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that phrase, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, really stood out to me. And I wonder, is it significant that Enos shares two ways that Jacob taught him about God? He could have said that Jacob taught him about God, period. But we gain a little insight into the layers that were included in a prophet's teaching to his son. Um, so the first part, nurture, the nurture of the Lord. This part particularly reminds me of the parent-child part of our relationship with God. We come to understand through our own experience and communing and connection with God that God um, responds to us with nurture. He works all things for our good. He comforts us when we seek him. He listens to us when we pray. He responds to our needs. So maybe the word that's coming to mind here is responsive. He's responsive to his children. So that's part of what Jacob is, um, I'm sorry, that's part of what Jacob shared with Enos and what Enos is bringing forward into the scriptures that we're going to read. The other component is admonition. So an admonition is like a warning counsel, correction, guidance. And, you know, now that I'm considering it further, I recognize that these are actually two sides of the same parenting coin. And our perfect father in heaven is no different. He will also warn of danger. Um, he'll correct us when we make choices that will lead to devastation or a limitation in our agency. He will counsel us regarding the path so that we can inherit all that he has. So Enos is really setting us up here that he has been taught from his youth the things from his father prophet, Jacob. 
So we read in verse three what Enos is about. Enos says, behold, I went to hunt beasts in the forest. And even just this simple phrase really made me consider Enos as a prophet in a little bit different way. So even though Enos is a prophet, he still has the very real demands of mortality on him. I actually really appreciate that Enos is sharing that he was able to have this beautiful experience while going about his work to provide for his family and for his own temporal needs. Our connection to God does not need to be something that is totally separate from our essential tasks of mortality. And that is something that really brings a lot of rest to my soul to recognize that the Lord is in all things, even in those maybe mundane things that we're doing as we care for our family, that even in those moments, we can feel that connection to God or that God can reach us and he can speak to us in those moments as we are doing other tasks. Um, He speaks about how um, the things that he had remembered his father teaching, that about eternal life and the joy of the saints, that this sunk deep into his heart. And this seems to imply an open or a soft heart, a willingness to redirect our trajectory when called upon by the Lord. So here Enos says he's hunting and he has these thoughts, you know, he's being drawn to think of things of God. And he had an open heart to redirect what he was doing, which was to hunt and provide for his family and to move his focus to what the Lord asked him to focus on. And I think that I, I really appreciate that, that example of Enos and it really inspires me and reminds me that in those moments when I feel the need to redirect that everything will fall into place and that it's okay to redirect my focus. Okay, verse four, Enos says, and my soul hungered and I kneeled down before my maker and I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication for mine own soul. And all the day long did I cry unto him. Yea, and when the night came, I did still raise my voice high that it reached the heavens. And so this phrase all the day long, I remember reading this before in previous readings of the Book of Mormon and thinking that my prayers are nothing like this because I do not typically spend hours at a time on my knees in prayer. It seems like a really long time all the day long, even physically the work of kneeling or even just sitting and communing for that amount of time would be very physically fatiguing. However, this time when I was reading, my mind was brought back to times in my life where my heart was open in prayer for deep and weighty circumstances. And I will tell you that during that time, for a space of a couple years, there was not a day or even a portion of a day that my heart was not turned to God in prayer. Many of us seem to have these seasons of our life where we are figuratively and sometimes literally praying to God all the day long. The Lord could have answered Enos just a short time after he began praying and he so that Enos could continue finding food or whatever. The Lord could have done that. However, there was something purposeful in this experience unfolding the way that it did. 
When I consider my own experience, I recognize how intimate and personal my relationship with the Savior became through that time. I came to understand his nature more. I came to recognize him and his presence in my life. And through nurture in the spirit, I fundamentally changed my ability to recognize and respond to God and my Savior. And my discernment really shifted during that time. So I can see how this really is relevant to so many of us in so many seasons of our life when we are leaning into God and turning to him with our whole heart in the same way that on this single day Enos supplicated the Lord all the day long. So now we've got a little bit of um, there's a voice that comes to him and says Enos thy sins are forgiven thee and in verse 6 Enos knows that God cannot lie wherefore his guilt was swept away and he said Lord how is it done? What a great question. I'm learning from Enos that if we're willing to ask more questions, the Lord is willing to continue the experience and continue our understanding. So that could have been the end of the experience here for Enos. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed. He heard a voice telling him his sins were forgiven. His guilt was swept away. And he could have gotten up off off of the ground and finished what he was doing for the day but he chose to continue the experience and that I think is a really interesting example that Enos gives us of that opportunity that can be ours so in verse 8 the answer comes because of thy faith in Christ so here we have another very specific time in the Book of Mormon when the prophets are directing us specifically to the to to the savior thy faith hath made thee whole and in verse 9 i began to feel a desire for the welfare of my brethren the nephites so he starts thinking about his neighbors his family this community of people that he's teaching and living with and he begins pouring out his heart to them in verse 11 enos says my faith began to be unshaken in the lord And I prayed unto him with many long strugglings for my brethren, the Lamanites. So I find it interesting that it was not until Enos's faith began to be unshaken that he recognized, or at least how it is um, unfolded for us here in this recording, that that is when he recognized that the Lamanites were in need of his prayer. And we're going to continue on in this reading and recognize the Lamanites were not nice to them. They were... Not only were they just like unpleasant people that lived over a few days journey away, but they actively would seek to kill them. And it was not um, a peaceful relationship or even a workable relationship on any level. Um, Not all of us live just a few days journey away from an enemy that wants to kill us. But we have but we all have people or situations that are hard real hard, like people that have deeply hurt us or someone that we care about, or maybe someone stands for something that seems to be in complete opposition to what we stand for. I have found in my own life that it takes tremendous unshakable faith in the goodness and fairness of our Savior to extend my faith on behalf of someone so challenging. And yet it is not impossible. As we align ourselves with God, Our trust in him means that we trust 
that his strength being exercised on behalf of someone else does not diminish our own protection or growth. That both can be true at once and that the Lord can reach that, that we can call down prayer on behalf of others who seem in complete opposition to us and that it in no way takes away from the Lord's ability to 100% completely support, love, and care for us as well. And that feels a little bit contrary to one another. So I just wanted to, I guess, bring that up. So we continue on and in verse 17, um, he gets the he asks of the Lord that there's a way for these records to be preserved that that at that someday at some future date generations from now that the Lamanites might benefit from this and he said and I Enos knew because the Lord said yes this is what I will do for you and in verse 17 I Enos knew it would be according to the covenant which he had made wherefore my soul did rest this is really beautiful imagery and expresses so concisely how we feel when we live in faith and full of trust in God. We do not wrestle so much or fret over that which we cannot control. We rest because we know that God lives and that he is a God of miracles and most importantly, well not most importantly, but equally importantly, a God that keeps his promises. And we are loved infinitely and our God and our Savior will not abandon us. In verse 20, we see that Enos is going to bear record that the people of Nephi did seek diligently to restore the Lamanites unto the true faith in God, but our labors were in vain and their hatred is fixed. So we see that there was some attempt at missionary work, at sort of making peace with the Lamanites, but that there was not going to be a good outcome there. In verse 22, there were exceedingly many prophets among us. So that's pretty cool and interesting to read. There were many people who were connected with God, receiving revelation, able to speak um, words of prophecy through the spirit, through the light of Christ. And, but interestingly, at the right, right after Ina shares this, he says, and the people were a stiff necked people. And verse 23 talking about how the prophets and the testimony that those who were faithful to God shared, that they were constantly sharing these things to stir them up continually, to keep them in the fear of the Lord. I say there was nothing short of these things and exceedingly great plainness of speech would keep them from going down speedily to destruction. And... So this is a really sobering situation for Jacob as a, I mean, excuse me, for Enos as a prophet and how thankful those who had a desire to be close to God must have been for the brass plates and for having prophets who were willing to be humble and to obey the word of the Lord so that they could have that light and truth. Um, in verse 26, um, this is a really beautiful sort of life assessment, and Enos is sharing this just before he goes. Um, he's about to pass the plates along to his son, and he knows that his days are coming to an end. He says, I have declared it in all my days 
So talking about um, prophesying and preaching the word of God. I have declared it in all my days and have rejoiced in it above that of the world. And I soon go to the place of my rest, which is with my Redeemer. For I know that in him I shall rest. And I rejoice in the day when my mortal shall put on immortality and shall stand before him. And then shall I see his face with pleasure. I appreciate in verse 26, there's not a specific checklist here. There's not perfection, but a continual process that Enos is sharing with us of focusing on the Lord and putting the things of God above the things of the world. And I feel the confidence that Enos is feeling as he's writing this. I feel of the rest that he is looking forward to because he knows that although I'm sure it was not perfect that he re- redirected his focus and all of his days he declared the words of God and rejoiced in it above that of the world so that that was the most important thing to him. Okay, so that concludes Enos. Now we've got the book of Jerem. And Jerem is really, he starts to say, you know, I've got these small plates. I've gotten them from my father, Enos. I'm really looking through here. And in verse two, what could I write more than my fathers have written? For have they not revealed the plan of salvation? I say unto you, yea, and this sufficeth me. So Jerem here is focusing on the plan of salvation and how it is the foundation for what we need to know and understand. And looking through the small plates, he really feels like that has been thoroughly covered and there's nothing more that I need to write here. Um, He says that it's expedient that much needs to be done among the Nephites because of the hardness of their hearts and the deafness of their ears and the blindness of their minds and the stiffness among their necks. Sorry, the stiffness of their necks. And verse four, there are many among us who have many revelations, for they are not all stiff-necked. And as many as are not stiff-necked and have faith and have communion with the Holy Spirit. Um, So despite the general, like it seems like there's this general disinterest in in their society, in their culture, like um, among the Nephites and things of God. It's not the priority for them. But despite that, there were many that were able through their faith to have revelation. I appreciated the the phrasing here that Jeremy uses to have communion with the Holy Spirit. And the, the synonym that really resonated with me for that word is fellowship. That if we have fellowship with the Spirit, Perhaps this means that we have regular connection. We feel his presence regularly and learn with him, and he is a part of our lives. Um, He shares about battles that had happened, and um, in verse 7, they came many times to battle against us, the Lamanites. Um, But our kings and our leaders were mighty men in the faith of God. So really their leaders are saving them. Although the people were not all righteous, their righteous inspired leaders were able to keep them safe as long as people obeyed the laws of the land. In other words, as long as they obeyed and respected the king when it came to these temporal matters, right? So that now toward the end, Jerem says, okay, I've shared that. I'm going to pass these plates to Omni. So if you're keeping track, we're now on our third writer so far. And the book of Omni, we really click through 
quite a few authors. And it's interesting because from the time of Lehi all the way till the last writer, just in the short book of Omni, we have seven generations. So we really are passing through a time very quickly here in these two short chapters. So we have first Omni, who then passes the plates to Amaron, who then passes the plates to Chemish, and then Abinadom. And then in verse 12, we have Amalekai. And so again, a Malachi seven generations removed from Lehi. And so a Malachi does something really interesting. This is the chapter right before the words of Mormon. And he really shows us how three groups of people are coming together during his lifetime. And really like the Jaredites, I mean, we'll connect with that. So essentially, we're talking about three groups of people here in this chapter. So we have Lehi's colony, which is made up of the Lamanites and the Nephites, and they left Jerusalem around 600 BC. They did have the brass plates with them. So that's one group of people. The other group of people that Amalekai is going to reference is the people of Zarahemla. And it seems as though this group of people likely left around 587 BC at the time that Babylon came in and was taking people away. They did not bring a scriptural record with them, so no brass plates for the people um, that came at that time. And at this time, um, at the time of Amalekai, um, Mosiah was king. Not the King Mosiah that we think of, King Benjamin's son, but actually King Benjamin's father was named Mosiah. So we've got King Mosiah is the king, and they will venture off the, this group of Nephites, and they're going to find the Mulekites, the people of Mulek. And so these two groups of people that left at two completely separate times, one at 600 BC, Lehi's colony, and the people of Zarahemla um, at 587 BC, they are going to come together here around like 130 BC and be reconnected again. So that's part of what's going to unfold here. Now, interestingly, how do we get three groups? So we have the Jaredites, which we're going to read about later in the book of Ether. They left in, during the Tower of Babel, which is like Genesis 11. So much earlier than these other two groups left. And one of the very last, um, the very last part of that group of Jaredites, Coriantumr, he connected with these people of Zarahemla, sometime um, much earlier. And so the people of Zarahemla had these plates that were a record of the Jaredite people. Okay, so we've got these three groups, right? Lehi's colony, people of Zarahemla, the Jaredites and their record. So the Jaredites are no longer around at 130 BC, but they were around all three of these groups here in the promised land um, at the same time generations before. So we start to see how that all unfolds. And as we are looking at that, I just really appreciate what he shares about that being um, this time of coming together and how it really connected for me that we have Mosiah and then his son, King Benjamin, is what is 
um, who is being led here because he shares in here um, that he was he lived in the days of King Mosiah. So he was born in those days. He lived to see his death and Benjamin, his son, reigneth in his stead. And one of the things that's very interesting here that happens is that um, Amalekai combines the stewardship of the small plates and the large plates. So the small plates contained the religious or sacred history of the people. The large plates contained the more secular history, just like the history of the wars and whatever's happening. And generally the small plates were being kept by the, by the prophet at the time and the large plates were being kept by the king and Amalekai hadn't, um, had no posterity pet to, to, to pass it to. And he states King Benjamin is a righteous man. And so he goes ahead and gives the small plates to King Benjamin. And so the stewardship for both sets of plates or for both types of content come together at this point. Okay, next what we have is the words of Mormon. So we have this bridge in between the small plates which we learned that Amalekai just finished and gave to King Benjamin. So from Lehi through all of these authors that we've had so far in the Book of Mormon, those words um, were put in. And then there was many, many writings that came after that because we remember that the sacred texts and the more secular histories were all kept together from this point forward, all the way through the coming of the Savior, many hundred years past. And so Mormon had the job of taking all of these things from the time of King Benjamin all the way forward until his day and sorting through and discerning what the Lord wanted from all of these records pulling out the most sacred things and the things that would be of most benefit and use to the people who would eventually have this record. So Mormon starts out in Words of Mormon in verse one saying, I Mormon being about to deliver up the record which I have been making, so this big compilation that he's been working on, into the hands of my son Moroni. Behold, I have witnessed almost all the destruction of my people, the Nephites. And it is really interesting to have this um, sort of hindsight perspective that Mormon is sharing with us right here in the middle. Like, spoiler alert, he's telling us how things are going to come together at the end. He shares in verse 2 that it is many hundred years after the coming of Christ that I deliver these records into the hands of my son. So at this point, the people of Amalekai, King Benjamin, all of these people in this day were still 130 BC. So these people are still looking forward to the day of Christ, whereas Mormon is coming back with his perspective and able to recognize some things. In fact, one of the things I think is really cool in verse four, Mormon says, the things which are upon these plates are pleasing to me because of the prophecies of the coming of Christ and my fathers knowing that many of them have been fulfilled. So Mormon, as he's has all of these records and he's sorting through, he's able to see people prophesying and testifying and 
really growing their faith in a savior that they hadn't even seen yet that hadn't come. And then he is able through this whole process to recognize all of these prophecies from these um, prophets of the promised land be fulfilled throughout um, not only his compilation, but things that he has seen in his whole life, even down to the destruction of his people. And that must have been like, what a unique assignment Mormon had to have that perspective and to have that, um, I guess, focus and perspective is the main words that come to mind. So as we read from this point forward in the Book of Mormon, it will be helpful to recognize that Mormon has this huge overarching perspective, not limited only to what is happening in his lifetime, but he has this whole overarching perspective as he is discerning and selecting the things that God is telling him would be of most use to us. Um, and so, and in fact, in verse seven, he says, I do this for a wise purpose, speaking specifically about how he compiled it. For thus it whispereth me according to the workings of the spirit of the Lord, which is in me. And some of this is in reference to including the small plates plus the large plates and the 116 pages that were lost, but there was, you know, some... Um, but it was all would work together how it was supposed to. But I think that that's also on a much larger scale. And I really feel like I've been remiss not having Mormon be one of my like all time hero prophets because I just really can feel for him. I feel like he had to have so much faith and such a hope in his savior that he has witnessed this whole destruction of his people and he knows that everything is coming to an end and yet here he is putting forth all this effort to preserve the most important words and to do it in such a way that it can be a benefit to people that he will never see and that I mean, not in mortality, he will not see the benefit of this coming and rolling throughout the earth to be a huge blessing to us. And yet here he did moving forward in faith and just exercising what I feel like is so much hope. It's just really beautiful and inspiring to me and really um, makes me have a desire to strengthen my <clears throat> ability to lean into my hope. Um, and then really the last half of the Words of Mormon, he's setting us up to segue right into our reading next week, which is in the book of Mosiah and King Benjamin and, and, and his teachings. He's telling us that King Benjamin is a holy man, that there had been many false prophets and false Christs, and there had been wars with the enemies, and that King King Benjamin really did operate as a leader and as a spiritual leader in the strength of the Lord. And he, he's just really being a really amazing compiler here and getting us all set up to jump in to our readings next week in the book of Messiah. So I appreciate that you joined with me here today. We covered Enos through the Book of Messiah. We actually will not start on the Book of Messiah for two weeks. For the next two weeks in our Come Follow Me manual, we are covering um, some Easter readings, which I'm really looking forward to. In addition, next week is our week in, in anticipation of conference, and I am excited. I have a guest speaker who we're going to have a conversation about 
our preparation in for this 200th anniversary of the first vision and our ongoing growing of our testimony of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ here upon the earth. It was wonderful to connect with you and I will see you next week.